Hello and welcome to Hamdom Thoughts, a podcast about ham radio, electronics, software, and tinkering. I'm your host, Dennis, FCC licensed amateur extra radio operator, call sign AD6DM. In today's episode, I talk with K6ABJ, Aaron. Aaron is the comms lead for his local community emergency response team also known as CERT. He's also an active ham in his local community, and in all the episodes so far, I have not really focused with someone who is a leader for non-ham volunteer emergency response teams. So I'm glad that I get to talk with Aaron today. This is episode 37. Stay tuned. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for taking the time today. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Dennis. How's it going over there? Uh, you're you're kind of a neighbor. We're part of the same CERT team. So that's one thing. It's not like I'm talking to you across the country or internationally right now. But how's it going in your neck of the woods right now? It's going great. Um, I love your podcast, by the way. Uh, oh, it's thanks. an honor to have you here on my on your show. And uh, yeah, I look forward to sharing a little bit more about the CERT team and my involvement in emergency communications. Yeah. So you're the communications leader for your local community emergency response team, also known as CERT. And you also coordinate activities for the area. And you're also a a member of your local ham club, which seems pretty active. Uh, What kind of activities do you and your groups do around comms? Yeah, I'm the active leader, the communications lead at my local CERT team. And CERT, for those who don't know, is a training program put together by FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. I very much enjoy being involved in in CERT and in serving my community. Uh, You've completed the the CERT training. We have both done that at, at our local agency. So what CERT training does is it gives you the necessary skills and training um, to help yourself, your family, and those uh, that you wish to help in your community. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend everybody get CERT certified. Uh, CERT is the standard for community emergency preparedness training. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, tie-ins with FEMA as well. So, I mean, it is a program that's not local or even you know regional but it's something that started uh kind of nationwide right yeah so the curriculum itself was developed by fema you can actually do a, a lot of the training online in fact but it's also really designed to be able to be sponsored by a local emergency response agency typically it's the fire department there's some areas that'll be your your local um law enforcement area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you wanted to get uh, the training, what you would do is contact your local uh, departments and try to figure out um, who is offering that training in your area. Yeah. 
I've noticed that it's also, it could be municipal, like it could be a city or, but yeah, it's, it's typically like the fire department since they are both emergency response and, uh, deal with medical, the medical side of things too, like medical emergency response. So, uh, I've noticed that, um, they're used to being deployed and dealing with these, the type of crises that, or emergencies that happen, uh, in California in particular, it's sometimes California fires. There's a lot of focus on earthquake preparedness as well. Yeah, it's really a training for all types of emergencies or disasters, and it covers a variety of different ones in particular, but it's really a an overall um, preparedness to help you to deal with any variety of things that might happen in your community. Uh, when a disaster happens, the professional emergency responders will be overwhelmed by the number of calls that they get. They're really staffed to be able to handle the day-to-day calls that they get. And so when a disaster happens, you're really going to be on your own. And other things that can impact it as well would be roadways could become impassable. You might have fallen tree line trees or power lines that happen to fall down. And you could have power outages that would affect traffic signals Uh, cell phones could go down, landlines could go down, the internet could stop working. And uh, so the federal government recognizes this. And that's why FEMA's created the the CERT training. And uh, as you said, that there's different agencies that um, that may actually teach the class. And it varies depending on that actual jurisdiction or how large your your area is, you might be somewhere where uh, you don't have your own fire department or police um, department. And so it's much more community driven or town driven. Yep. I also wanted to touch later on some of the neighborhood watch type groups that have started up. That's it's kind of outside of CERT, but uh, talk about some of the communications infrastructure that I've seen in the area. Um, But before we get to that, why don't you tell us about yourself, Uh, you know, your background, what you do, what interests you, and how uh, you got into ham radio? Um, Well, as a child, a, a teen, I enjoyed just soldering things and understanding basic electricity. Um, I really started out with stereos. Uh, It was pretty safe working with uh, speakers and low voltage, uh, low amperage devices. Mm -hmm. I also did uh, some model trains as a kid, and Mm -hmm. that helped me with understanding some basic electronics as well. Uh, Radio waves intrigued me and how they work, but their magical kind of intangible nature uh, made it very elusive to me to understand mm-hmm. uh, radio. When did you become a ham? I became a ham about five years ago. Okay. Uh, my father was a ham in the 70s, and I used to go camping with him. Uh, we'd go to field day events. Back mm, then, they were okay. very, very large events, and they've come down in scale a little bit. 
um, as I remember anyway, but they're still, uh, depending on the club that's doing it, the club I'm involved with now, the Sierra Foothills Amateur Radio Club does some really neat uh, field day activities and involving the making it open to the public information awareness uh, mm-hmm. event. And it's just a lot of fun to get outdoors and to use ham radios. So is your, is your club, when it does a field day in June, do they invite folks from the Office of Emergency Services of California? Do you have representatives that show up or any media Yeah, we coverage? do um, invite a lot of different public dignitaries. Uh, they don't always show up. Uh, usually, typically, <laughs> who shows up is law enforcement wondering what we're doing. Oh, okay. And <laughs> they always kind of start out, they see our big antennas up. Yeah, and, what's going on over here? <laughs> yes, we, we tend to gather their attention. But then once they realize what we're up to and that we know what we're doing, uh, they become involved in a little different level. Yeah. And so after they know everything's okay, do you log them as the uh, public uh, representative and get a hundred points for that? Yes. Yeah. We get a few points for, <laughs> for doing that. And, and we take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. So what kind of activities do you like to personally do in ham radio? Um, well, I do a lot of standby first aid through the CERT team. And then with my amateur radio club, also with Aries, I'm involved in the uh, couple of different county Aries groups. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go out and uh, provide communications for marathons, yeah. bike races. There's a, a neat um, marathon. It's a 100-mile run up and down the Sierra Nevadas starting up by Lake Tahoe and running towards Auburn. And they end up after hours running in the middle of the wilderness um, Mm -hmm. after hours being after dark. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just really inspirational to watch these athletes um, running. And there's a horse race that does the same uh, event, the same course. Oh, wow. And so I'll provide communications between the various aid stations. Those really provide a good opportunity as a emergency preparedness person, because I get to pull out my radio gear, practice uh, using it without household power, mm-hmm. operating on batteries and solar power, making sure all my radios work and that my skills are up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of message passing and traffic management type things that you can practice on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's what we typically do through Aries. One of the things I that intrigued me about CERT was that instead of just passing messages, I was also delivering a service. And so with CERT, we'll go out and we'll do street fairs, doing um, public awareness, speaking about emergency preparation to the public. But then we'll also provide first aid at larger events, such as uh, the Rancho Cordova 4th of July celebration, the California Capitol Air Show. And at those events, we'll have people that are trained in first aid 
And we'll also be just standing by so that if a big disaster happens, a plane crashes and you end up with a multi-casualty incident, that's where CERT really shines in being able to deal with um, multiple casualties. Mm-hmm. And, and so having as many people on the ground um, in addition to the, the professional responders, we have uh, the CERT team that can kind of augment what the professionals are doing. Yeah. How do you balance between being prepared and not being too doom and gloom about, about you know, all the what ifs that can go wrong? Yeah, well, that's different for every person. Um some people are kind of attracted to this because of the doom and gloom. And one of the training exercises that we do in uh, the, the CERT class is there's this last class drill and we'll put on makeup and have blood and gore and everything mm-hmm. and really give the, the students an experience of what it's like to respond to um the darker side of things. And some of the members uh, really enjoy that. We bring humor into it. Uh, and I'll share a little bit. One of the things one of the guys does is he he will have a gas can and he's mm-hmm. walking around with his gas can and he starts sprinkling it onto the, the barbecue. Oh, boy. And- <laughs> <laughs> And kind of see, does do the, do the students recognize what's about to happen? <laughs> uh, because in times of disaster, there's there's all kinds of, you bring the human factor into it. Yeah. And you bring people that are just doing bizarre, strange things. And so that helps with that, is just keeping things humorous. Yeah. And, and kind of embracing it, too, if you will, um, yeah. by yeah. really getting into the the moulage is what they call that when you're putting on the the blood and yeah. mimicking uh, the the bruises and whatnot. I'm I actually, not one. Uh, I participated in it in one of those once, and you know everyone was getting drenched in the the fake blood, <laughs> and then when it came to me, it was head injury. So all I had was like a little bit of a red mark on my head, and no no other costume, and I felt so kind of like disappointed that I didn't get to be all bloodied up, you know, <laughs> but the, the way I look at this, um, the doom and gloom versus being prepared is that, uh, you know, personally, I, I actually feel more, I don't know when you're prepared and when you've practiced and trained, you actually feel more confident and it, it just kind of takes some of the stress away. So that's, that's how I balance it personally. Absolutely. And that's why the, the practicing and the skill building, it's an ongoing thing, whether you're doing emergency communications and you're practicing using the radio in different ways, uh, or if you're doing first aid preparedness, whatever it is that you're preparing for, it's an ongoing process so that when that time, should that time happen, uh, you you kind of go into gear naturally uh, because you've done it multiple other times. And that's why I volunteer on the CERT team is because in addition to the basic training I got, I get all kinds of continuing training 
and skills and, and practices. And, and it's a lot of fun. It really is yeah. a lot of enjoyment uh, in that. Yeah. So do you do like HF activity? Do you participate in any contests other than like field day? Are there other aspects of, of operating that you do? I do. I have an HF transceiver. I've got an ICOM IC7300, and I enjoy that a lot. Great uh, I do do some other contesting with it. I really, I like to understand the, the whole picture of ham radio. If you can even do that, there's so many different facets to this that yeah. you can really dive into. But I, I enjoy the ICOM IC7300 a lot. That's a great rig. That's a really great rig. You could take it in the field or it could be your main base station. So many hams have that rig. It's great. It is. It's a lot of fun to to operate it and use it. Yeah. So tell me how you actually got into the emergency communication side and preparedness side of it. What Was there anything that was kind of a catalyst or did, were you just thinking one day, may, maybe I should be more prepared for something that may happen? Yeah. So I was attending a ham radio club meeting and there was a group of people that came to to speak to our to us uh, and from CERT and hearing the presentation, uh, learning about uh, that this is an opportunity to not just pass messages, but to actually provide a service uh, as well. And then they had a nice shiny ambulance there that they got to drive. And that had a certain appeal to it as well. Uh, and there was a gentleman there, Ken Sakamoto. I can't think of his call offhand. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was really an inspiration to me. W-A-6-A-B-Z. And so or he, is just, his call. he just kind of uh, keyed it off for you? He did. He brought a lot of different radio equipment with him to the club meeting and a lot of it was stuff I hadn't seen before. It was equipment that's been used in emergency communication, 911 operation centers, or has been used more in the business side of things. And it was just neat to see all of the various pieces of equipment. Nice. And so from there, you just uh, decided, okay, I want to get more into this. I did. And I wouldn't classify myself as really being a prepper. Um, those that watch me and what I do or how much I encourage people to get licensed and increase their emergency preparedness abilities, uh, you'd think I was a prepper, but mm -hmm. I'm not really a prepper. I'm not paranoid. I don't obsess about preparing for the big one. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy preparing because it provides me a way to use my radio gear uh, in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And by preparing for the big one, uh, I get to use my uh, radios to provide a service now. Mm -hmm. uh, Field Day scratches all of the places where I itch. It provides <laughs> an opportunity to engage in community service, to socialize with other people, to socialize with a purpose, yeah, yeah. Uh, and to creatively get involved. I enjoy assembling a go kit and really my go kit encompasses multiple kits 
or multiple bags. Yeah. It's not just one bag. And so I, I enjoy the creativity of, of building that, refining it, trying to come up with the best setup. And every time I take my kits out into the field, I discover little things that, oh, you know, having it all in one box doesn't work mm -hmm. because it just becomes too heavy. So I've started to remove my battery out of my, my radio kit and carry it in a separate um, thing. And it makes it much easier to, to carry uh, multiple things. The other thing it allows me to do is to, to kind of size up or shrink down my operation, depending upon what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I've had to, some of the events I've worked, I've had to hike in a mile or so. And so I've had to really reduce the equipment I bring. Um, at other times, it's a more elaborate setup and I might enjoy having my HF rig there. If not to actually provide communications, it helps with my own recreation at the event as well. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried NVIS communications in the NCOM training setup? I haven't tried it specifically, although I'm pretty sure that that's what I do on my weekly nets it's a casual net that i participate in with some friends and we're on 80 meters and it's a local net and i'm pretty sure it's because my antenna is so close to the ground it's not really radiating well for for dx it radiates really probably bouncing off the ground and up vertically mm -hmm. uh, and then back <laughs> down so my guess is it's really working on Envis. Yeah. So for those listeners who don't know what these terms are, I, I just thought of this when you mentioned Aries, but Aries is a amateur radio emergency service and there are chapters of it throughout the country. And NVIS is near vertical incident skywave, which is where the signals bounce pretty much from on top of you and back down. So it's more regional. It's not so long distance that you're talking to people in New York from California, but it's more like the surrounding states at most. So that's what and we're it's talking a about. Great there. form of communication because if you're having a local disaster, your repeaters might go out, your cell phone towers might go out, but it provides a kind of an umbrella or a mushroom kind of an effect. It goes straight up and then radiates back down in your area. And the military has used it for years. If you see their, their Jeeps, they've got their antenna bent over going from the front of their rig to the back of the rig. And that's designed to get those radio waves to bounce directly up. Mm, okay. I mentioned earlier in this uh, episode that there are neighborhood watch type groups or just networks that are being set up. So what are your comments on that, on the preponderance of uh, GMRS radios for neighborhood and community emergency network groups? I think it's great. Anytime we get more radios into the hands of people that are using them for good purposes, uh, the better. And ham radio, unfortunately, is not for everybody. <laughs> I yeah. wish it was. Yeah. Um, I think it's just great, but um, it's not. And so if somebody, in order to get them on the radio, if they're using GMRS, great. 
in some ways, I'd love to see my cert team utilizing that more. Yeah. Uh, but it's really not uh, the right service for us. And so you have to figure out what is your objectives and what's going to help you achieve the communications that you desire for your group. Yeah. GMRS is interesting because it kind of, it's in between. It's not that you can just pick up a radio and start transmitting. You do need to get a license for it. So I think currently it's $70 for that license and it's going to get bumped down to 35 after some changes happen with fees that all the hams are talking about. So I guess there's that side to it where you have a call sign, but you don't really have to take a test or anything for it. You just pay the fee and after you apply for it and then you can transmit on it. So there's that. But what I also noticed about GMRS is it's, it's pretty high power. It could be high power. So you can get up to 50 Watts out on these mobile rigs and use repeaters. And so I guess that's where the different neighborhood groups have realized, okay, we could reach really far with these versus, you know, like the Muir's radios or the FRS radios or even CB. Yeah. It's, you're able to use repeaters with the GMRS um, band similar to uh, hams, what they're doing using repeaters. Um, but you don't have to have that that exam and the licensing fee is coming down there. Some of these groups are getting the equipment at a very reduced cost as well. So they're installing the GMRS repeaters in their area. They're practicing, they'll have their nets and practice checking in. There's, we had the, the campfire here. And so there's a group in the Placerville area that's the group I'm most familiar with that's really implementing this GMRS. They've recognized that their community is subject to the same kind of thing that happened at the, the Paradise Campfire. And so they have embraced GMRS as their means of communicating with each other. And I think it's just fantastic. Yeah. I To be honest, I've let my GMRS license lapse. So... I don't actually have a GMRS radio right now. I, I gave the ones that I had away. So <laughs> I think I need to pick one up and reapply and pay the fee again, get another GMRS radio, but I'm sure my wife will not appreciate me getting yet another radio. <laughs> yeah. So, all I have is one of the little handy talkie walkie talkie uh, GMRS FRS combination radios yeah. Uh, which really isn't true GMRS because it doesn't it doesn't take advantage of all of the privileges that that license gives to you. Yeah, I'm thinking of one of those um, the mobile. I think there's one I saw by Midland. It's a mobile rig that that puts out 15 watts and has repeater functionality to it. I think one of those would be good. So if I'm ever in that area, I could uh, I could program in the the frequencies and see if anyone's talking on there. So what's in store for you in uh, in emergency communications and preparedness? Got any plans? Um, I've got all kinds of plans. <laughs> Lately, I've been spending a lot of time elmering people uh, and administering tests, uh, the volunteer examiner tests for new licenses. Oh, cool. I am a 
VE for the ARRL, which I can't say enough good things about the ARRL. I'm a member and in the beginning, I was only a VE through them. But when COVID happened and the lockdown happened, you couldn't do the in-person testing. And there are some other VEC organizations out there that really adjusted to that much quicker. And so I became a VE with GLARG, which is known as the Greater Los Angeles Amateur Radio Group. Yep. But they don't, they're not limited to Los Angeles. They really serve the whole United States. And so I've done some remote testing with them and really enjoyed that. I've also recently gotten accredited with W5YI. And uh, it's a little bit much to be, you know, accredited by three different VECs, but it's really in terms of who I'm working with. And so our local club has embraced the W5YI group. And so in order to work with those VEs and do something more local, uh, I ended up getting that accreditation as well. But it's fun to work with different groups because you see how different people are doing things and you can develop your own style as well. Yeah. What I like about the uh, GLARG is they... They do all electronic. So in addition to the virtual, the remote testing, they, they submit pretty quickly. And the eager applicants who pass can get their call sign pretty fast. Yeah, they're doing it as of the next day, which is just yeah. phenomenal. I mean, me. I, I remember yeah. mine. I had to wait like two weeks or more. I, I think it was 17 days or something like that that I was waiting for my call to be assigned. And I was just itching it's to still an improvement though, <laughs> upon what it was, you used to have to drive a hundred miles to the nearest FCC oh, testing yeah. site. <laughs> so much better now that volunteers are, are administering those exams. Oh, yeah, that's true. You mentioned the campfire and paradise fires. And sadly in California fires, seasonal fires are, are normal. Now it's in our mindset now that we expect them to happen, happen, uh, you know, every uh, summer when, when it's hot and dry and windy. Do you have any insights on that or stories on the California fires that we've had? In yeah. The past so few there's years? a gentleman, um, a ham Allen W six W N. He was up there in the aftermath of the campfire, uh, trying to restore the the communications and he was really shocked by what he learned and saw and he's developed a passion for sharing what the lessons are that he learned and one of the, the one of the takeaways is that many cell phone towers don't have backup power it's not a legal requirement that the the communication companies provide that and so even those that do have backup power, they tend to only be for a couple of hours. The other thing to keep in mind with those towers is that they rely upon fiber optic cables and other hard wires to go from it out to the rest of the communications network. And fiber optic cables, they're plastic. So a little bit of heat and those things just melt away. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the old copper twisted pair wires, 
they would even work even if they were scorched sometimes because they hold their form and they're they have some insulation built in there even when the insulation disappears they tend to work whereas the fiber optic is not as as robust uh and so the systems will melt they'll explode and one for one reason or another these systems fail and so it's really important to have a gmrs radio a a ham radio but you have to have somebody else that you're talking to so these networks that are developing of using gmrs radios they only work if lots of people have them and so it's important that you um, have whatever radio is being used in your community. Yep. Another thing that happened, uh, takeaway from that campfire was that 911 operators may not know what you are seeing in the field. There were people that were calling 911 report, reporting a fire outside of their window or reporting smoke and asking if there was a, a large fire in their community. And the 911 operators were saying, no, you're, you're observing, you know, a red glow from, from a long ways away. And so calling 911 doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to provide you with the information of the response that you're asking for. So if you have radio communications with your neighbors, you can have an increased situational awareness of what is actually happening in your community and respond to that. Yeah. Uh, evacuation orders may or may not come. Uh, if you get them, respond to them, leave, uh, do not stick around, but recognize that you may not receive evacuation orders in time. The, the paradise happened fire happened so quickly it was spreading with such speed uh, that there wasn't time to even understand what was happening and and the the evacuations there's other things that can happen too that will interfere with evacuations not just the speed in which the disaster is happening but also there might be a planned delay because they don't want this surge of too many people on the streets at one time you have too many people on the streets the streets will shut down mm-hmm. and so they'll group it oftentimes by region and have this neighborhood leave first and then they'll have these other people leave so the more informed you are um, you don't want to self-activate you do want to follow the recommendations of of the professionals but keep in mind that the professionals don't always know, um, have the information uh, that you may have in your immediate area. Yeah. I watched a few of the documentaries on the Paradise Fire. Really harrowing and eye-opening. I highly recommend that, you know, anyone listening, watch those. They're really good, well-made, and kind of shares the urgency and the confusion behind what was happening. Just like what you're saying, Aaron, that it had already progressed beyond what people were catching up on in terms of information and just the speed of everything and not knowing when the cars in front of you are going to move. It was very tense. I was tense for the whole time watching those. 
it was incredibly fast. And that's what took all the professionals by surprise is, is it, the hot, it was super, super hot, intense. And, and the winds were having it spread so quickly. Uh, it, but what was interesting too, is that there would be houses that would be left untouched because the fire moved so quickly through that area uh, that it didn't even have time to catch some of the stuff on fire. Uh, and it would burn out a little spot and leave other places unharmed. Yeah. It's crazy. So changing gears here, what are some of the things you're currently working on? Like, uh, do you have any projects in play, things you're building or any preparedness projects? Well, I've got a, um, a battery bank that I really pride myself in that I really enjoy. It's, it's part of my go kit and it's evolved over time. It was a, a box that I had bought at a ham, at a ham fest and by power works. And it came with a voltmeter on it and a USB, couple of USB ports, and you put a battery inside of it. And I've just added to it over time. And I now have a solar charger that's attached to it. I have a DC to AC inverter that's attached to it. I've got some Anderson power poles. Uh, and so it becomes my my catch-all battery box and I can put plug a number of different devices into it. I've even put like a USB-C port on it so I can charge my phone at a quicker rate. Uh, And my, I've mounted my, my handy talkie cradle that charges my handy talkie. Um, It's permanently mounted on it. So I just set it down and I can charge it um, off this battery bank as well. And so I'm always looking at that and figuring out what I can do to, to improve it. Uh, I'm also elmering a number of people right now. I've got some new hams that have recently passed their tests and I've really been enjoying watching them and what they're doing uh, with emergency services. Uh, some of those people are, if you don't mind me plugging away here, Go for Guy, W6GUY, uh, he's become just a real inspiration for me. I'm, he's now mentoring me in some ways too. Mm-hmm. So you, you pass on this information to one person and then they start passing you information. Nice. Um, Julio, KN6RIV, he just did some... Um, uh, summit spotting over this last weekend. It was fun to converse with him, uh, doing some repeater hops. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was really neat. I couldn't hear simplex some of his summit um, activations that he was doing, but I was able to hear the people that he was talking with. Mm-hmm. So I could kind of like celebrate uh, the contacts with him in real time. Mm-hmm. That was neat. Um, Cynthia KC6CTC. It's been really fun to work with her as well. She's been figuring out this ham radio world and learning about it. And it's really fun to watch new hams embrace this hobby. Yeah. It could very easily become like a fire hose. <laughs> it's just so much stuff for the new ham to even approach. And I just say, you know, just find one little aspect of it. And check it out. 
give it a try, practice with it. Yeah, it, it can be an overwhelming hobby. And I just, I've, in my five years in this hobby so far, is I'll create a little list of here's something else to check out when I get bored. Oh, yeah. Because there's times where I'm like, I'm trying to engage in the hobby, but I don't know what else to do. And so I'll consult that list. And then there's other times in the hobby where I'm just overwhelmed and I can't possibly explore all the different neat things that there are to do. Yeah. Just back burner it for now. I, I also have a, I call it the ham to do list and it's a, it's a pretty lengthy list, but I've checked off a lot of the boxes there. So uh, some of the latest things that I wanted to look at were Arden networks you know, the, the mesh networks. Yes. And so yeah. started to understand that a little bit more and the things you can do with that. Uh, I'm still having trouble figuring out the amateur radio. Um, what is it? Amper amateur. I'm not sure. I don't know what it means, but uh, it's the, the IP address space for hams. It's the 44 subnet of the internet. Okay. I wanted I to serve information from on you that. on that. Yeah, I want it to be a server on the 44 net, but I'm having difficulty because I'm not good with routers or as good as I need to be. So I'm able to go on the 44 net, but I am not able to publish my server basically because of the, the routing issues. And so it's it's really a configuration thing. It's not so much the radio aspect of it or the ham aspect. It's just networks in general. And I'm not a network engineer. I've dabbled, but I'm not really that good at it. <laughs> There's another one for my list of things to check out. I haven't done any of that. Yeah. It's um, pretty cool. Going back to your build, you were talking about your battery box there. Uh, how many Watts is it capable of uh, handling? It is a um, 35 amp box and It'll do 400 watts. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So general usage, you could probably even power a PC. Yeah, it'll power my uh, laptop out in the field. It will power my ID5100 or yeah, ID5100. And it'll even power my my HF rig as well. Uh, It's a great, it's a deep cycle battery. I would love Mm -hmm. to get one of those. the, I can't think of what the, the term is right Lith- now. But. Lithium iron phosphate, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get one of those. Yeah. Um, I work with those quite a bit. I love lithium iron phosphate batteries. They're lighter. If you have a deep cycle battery, then that thing's pretty heavy, I imagine. Yeah. And that's why my battery bank's a little bit on the smaller side. Um, but portability wise, it's much more manageable. And then I just plug a solar panel in. And that'll keep me going quite well. Yeah, yeah. So this is a question I ask all my guests. So what's your favorite gear right now? My favorite gear? Uh, I enjoy my IC7300, my HF rig. It is, it's a lot of fun to use. I've been spending a lot of time on 80 meters. And then I bounce back and forth between 20 and 40 and I've got my antenna that I'm using right now is uh, NFED, and it's working quite well. I'm pleased with it. Yeah, my antenna is down again. 
having problems with the mounting scenario. I need to figure out a better way to either tie it to one of my trees, uh, my mast, I mean, and, or have some kind of U-bolt to hold the mast to the side to my uh, the side of my house. Still figuring that out. It's it's been an ongoing question mark in my head, and uh, maybe I I need to invite some hams over so they can help me figure it out because I'm I'm having difficulty visualizing how to do it. But uh, I I typically have an end fed forty one foot end fed, just straight vertical, so it's kind of noisy, but it it has good reach when it's up. So uh, I'm hoping to get that back up pretty soon. Yeah, mine is connected to a tree that blows in the wind. And so there's this give and take pulling effect on the wire. And I'm really concerned that it's stretching it out or is going to break eventually. So I'd like to be able to develop a like a pulley weight system that will tighten and untighten uh, based on a a weight that goes up and down off of a pulley uh, to try and give it some more flex. Yeah. That's something to consider. You might unknowingly be changing the the resonance <laughs> as it stretches out. Well, yeah, but if I if I use something that's non-conductive, so if I've got a rope or something tied to it that moves, and this is one of the things I love the most about amateur radio is the creativity yeah. and the ingenuity that goes into this hobby. There isn't a one way of doing things. And so you try it, see if it works. And if it doesn't, well, take it down and try something else. Yeah. Lots of options. Indeed. So you mentioned one of your ham Elmers, uh, someone who you were helping, who turned out to be giving you information that uh, Elmering you back. Uh, who are some of your other ham heroes and ham Elmers? Uh, well, ARRL is probably my biggest Elmer. They have been wonderful in my learning because I'm able to learn as I go and kind of teach myself uh, with their curriculum and they have a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy their their newspaper, their magazines that they put out. And I also am very appreciative to all of the, the hams that are out there that have a website, uh, a podcast, uh, a blog, and there's just so much information available. And I enjoy reading it, consuming it. And so really each one of you out there that is doing something to to share uh, your passion or your interest or your knowledge is is very much appreciated. Um, And I've found too that I enjoy working alongside somebody else. So really finding somebody at my level and then discovering with them. So uh, Ares KM6 TVV has been one person I've been doing a lot of that with. He keeps my energy up and (laughs) um, gives me new ideas to bounce things off of. And we get to to share our discoveries uh, together. And that's been really nice. That's nice. Um, Brian K9LBC was another gentleman that I was doing a lot with in terms of um, going out into the field and setting up remote stations. Mm-hmm. And so just all the, the ham community is so wonderful. Yeah. Have you done summits on the air? 
I've done some summits on the air. I haven't been real successful when I've hiked up to the top. Um, I've done mostly had, or I've achieved my success mostly in responding to the calls from the adventurous ones up on top of the hill. Oh, so more chasing than activating is what you're saying. Yeah. And that's not really the way I'd like it to be, <laughs> but <laughs> that's where I achieve the success. Yeah. Very similar <laughs> for me. I, I, I want to do more in 2021. So there's that. I have my own ham goals around soda. So we'll yeah. see. There's definitely no shortage of peaks here in California, so I don't really have much of an excuse. No, it's not like we're living in Kansas. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what I had. Is there anything else you wanted to say or, or plug or give advice about before we close here? Well, I just love the do-it-yourself aspect of ham radio. It's whether you're creating a go kit, developing your emergency power capabilities, uh, soldering, it's all just so much fun and serving the community is a lot of fun. I enjoy the ham the ham culture, uh, how hams are just very willing to help each other out. Volunteer examiners, proctors, proctoring license exams, the technically savvy engineer types who are providing free technical support out there. It's just all so wonderful uh, what hams are doing in our community. Yeah. Uh, my last episode, I talked a bit about some new YouTuber hams that are producing new content. So it's an ever-growing group of people who are recording things, sharing them on video or new podcasts, writing some articles of stuff they've tried out. And it's just great. I love seeing all the, the stuff that's being produced out there and getting a lot of ideas too. I don't know if you ever watch Josh Nass, uh, KI6NAZ. He's the ham radio crash course guy. No, I'm uh, not. He did a, a go bag episode last Sunday and kind of made me think, oh, yeah, th th there's a lot of things that he mentioned that I don't really have in, my, in any kind of go kit. And so spurred us a kind of a flurry of purchases. <laughs> including a new bag, <laughs> but that's, that's just kind of how it is uh, with ham radio people just sharing what they know is that you're like, Oh yeah, that'd be a great idea. And then trying it out yourself and, and discovering uh, new ways to go about for your particular situation. You know, some of these problems that, that we face with communicating and preparing. So yeah, I agree with you. I love it. I love seeing it out there. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me on your show. And it's been good to, to talk about emergency communications with your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Aaron. This is, this is definitely a very interesting topic for me and glad to have talked to you because you, you really, it can, I can tell you really have it on the mind. You've gone through a lot of exercises and uh, you have great plans coming up. So thank you for sharing the, the stories that you shared about the the California fires, especially those those were very very interesting things to think about that I I had not even considered. You know the whole thing with nine one one and cellular towers not necessarily having backup power, and it's just it just kind of drives home the fact that you need to really think some some of this stuff through. What what would you do in those situations? 
Very much so. And then continuing ongoing practice, making sure your systems are working and that you know how to operate them in a variety of different conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been great talking with you. I'll probably uh, find some other activities that we'll be co-participating in with CERT. <laughs> Indeed, I'm sure. Thank you, Dennis. But uh, I'll say 7-3 for now. Thanks for being on. You've been listening to Hamdom Thoughts by 8060M. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again in two weeks. Hey, Dennis, Beer Snack here. Just wanted to say thanks for the shout out last week. I wanted to tell you that your podcast is amazing, and I look forward to the notification that it's been available to listen to every single week. I know you're going bi-weekly, and that's perfectly fine. I do know that there's a lot out there, and I do appreciate everything. Thank you for everything you do for the uh, hobby here, and this is Beer Snack saying, get on the air. Hey, Dennis, how are you? This is BJWX1D. We met uh, when I believe I was N1BJX on D-Star. I was on the HRCC reflector on D-Star, and you mentioned your podcast. And I just wanted to let you know that I think you should still do your weekly podcast if there's any consideration to continuing to do that because it's my number one podcast, and uh, I always look forward to it. So I just wanted to toss a line out, out to you. That's pretty much it. I hope everything's going well. And um, I definitely look forward to speaking to you on the air again at some point. And with that, I'll give you a 73. And uh, thanks again for everything you do. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.